0: Humane Nature is an animal tourism podcast with discussions about animal abuse, injury, and medicine. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back travelers to humane nature. I'm Stacia your host and uh, this week we are going to be discussing um, the Sweetwater Texas rattlesnake roundup. Um, I want to go ahead and put another disclaimer at the beginning of this. This is a pretty graphic episode. Um, so if that is not something that you want to be interested in listening to, and I think it is very important that we talk about it and talk about the dangers that it's it's posing to our wildlife down in Texas. But I completely understand if that's not something that you want to listen to today. So I will see you in our next episode. We will go ahead and start with some wildlife news from the past couple of weeks. First of all conservation documents for 178 out of 334 critically endangered species in Australia. So that's roughly over 50%. Um, The endangered species and habitats, these documents failed to mention climate change in any of them. 53% did not mention climate change at all. Not even to mention that climate change had an effect or didn't have an effect. It was just was not mentioned. And when it was mentioned, It was extremely brief and generalized and not aimed specifically at each species. So this will limit what recovery efforts we will be able to do for these species later. As information changes and science is updated about climate change in these areas, we won't have written down what needs to be done for these species and how climate change is affecting these critically endangered species in Australia. So this is something that from now on, all conservation documents should have listed how climate change is potentially affecting these species and what we need to be doing in order to protect these species and their habitats. Second of all, a study in Pennsylvania in the United States shows that humans are driving predators and prey into closer contact in forests as they try to avoid people. So in areas where humans have a higher density of population, they are driving deer into um, the habitats more closely to like coyotes and black bears and wolves and things like that. And that is potentially causing Population issues that is potentially causing um, some behavioral problems between the two, you know, limiting food, limiting breeding, those kinds of things. So they do need to do some more studies, but this preliminary study is showing that predators and prey, um, particularly white-tailed deer and coyotes, black bears, wolves, are being pushed into closer contact with each other because of humans in their area. Finally, 40% of wild deer, that's wild white tar- tailed deer, <laughs> in four U.S. states have been found to have antibodies for the COVID 19 virus, meaning 40% of these wild deer have had COVID 19, possibly spilling over from infected humans. We're not sure if they're contracting it from humans in the area or if it is now in their environment if they're ca- like contracting it from nature so this creates the potential for reverse zoonosis from humans to wildlife and back again meaning we can be giving wildlife covid-19 and they can be giving it right back to us so that's a really big deal we don't know how all these other species are reacting to covid-19 if it's as deadly for them as it is for us and there's also increases the risk of new variants and potentially more dangerous variants as they are able to mutate in different forms of wildlife and then pass back to us as we get to closer contact with them. So because of the Omicron variant that is spreading, um, travelers are advised to avoid non-essential travel. Um, I know Canada and the U.S. have put out statements. A lot of European countries have put out statements, and I believe Australia as well. So (laughs) um, selfishly, guys, get your vaccines. Get your vaccines and your boosters. I want to travel again. I haven't traveled since 2019. I haven't left the country since 2019. And as much as I also want to protect other people and the wildlife, that's why I haven't been traveling. But guys, I, I want this over and I want to be able to travel again. So part of it is me being selfish. Part of it is I just, I want to protect the, the vulnerable out there and you should too. So let's get into our topic today. We are talking about a rattlesnake roundup, um, a very specific one, the largest that occurs in the United States, located in Sweetwater, Texas. And I had kind of heard about this rattlesnake roundup, but I didn't realize how huge it was and how gnarly it was like until I had researched into it. So buckle in, guys. This is a big thing. This is probably going to be a longer episode, but there's so much information I wanted to share with you guys. So this is the largest rattlesnake roundup in the United States. I'm honestly unsure if these types of roundups occur in other countries, I wasn't really able to find any data on that. So if you know of these like, not even like rattlesnake, but like venomous snake roundups or other kind of quote unquote dangerous animals roundups in your area, if you if you live in other places, please let me know, I'm super interested. Um, well, the Sweetwater Roundup began in 1958. It is held annually in the second weekend of March, and it attracts 30 to 40 thousand visitors a year to Sweetwater. And Sweetwater is a very small town in rural Texas, so this is a huge deal for them. It is a huge part of the community's identity. They, it is the biggest like fundraiser and their biggest source of income for this town. So it's a huge, huge, huge deal for this area of Texas. So the rattlesnake hunters are also called JCs. So if you hear me say Jaycees, it's the same thing as these rattlesnake hunters, just so you know. So Sweetwater, the Sweetwater Roundup makes three big claims on how their Roundup is beneficial for not only conservation efforts of rattlesnakes, but beneficial for people in the area. They claim that they um, milk venom from the snakes in order to create antivenin. They claim that they sell it to labs to create antivenin for, you know, people and animals if they ever get bit and need to go to the hospital and get um, venom. So, antivenin is the medical name for venom. So, they're Basically the same thing, um, and I know working in uh, veterinary ER hospitals down in Florida for a while, I did have to give antivenin uh, fairly frequently to dogs that had been bitten by rattlesnakes down there. So um, they also claim that this is a huge form of population control that they say that they desperately need. Um, that they have just way too many rattlesnakes, and this is a way to curb their population. And they also claim that it is a big source of public education and educating people about the rattlesnakes in the area. However, if you look further into these claims, none of them are true. (laughs) Shocker. Um, So none of the seven venom labs, so there are seven venom labs in the United States that create anti-venom and use um, snake venom, to create different kinds of medications. Um, So that is a thing, but none of the seven labs in the US take venom from these roundups, not a single one. They use their own snakes in sterile controlled environments. So they don't know how sterile this venom is. They don't know what snakes they've come from. They don't know if they've become contaminated with something or if the snake was even sick. You know, there are a lot of things that go into it. So all of these labs in, in the US that use these um, use rattlesnake venom for for research for medical purposes. None of them take any snakes, any venom, any anything from the Sweetwater rattlesnake roundup. You know, me being a, a STEM major myself in college, I know from experience that laboratory techs and scientists in labs want a very controlled sterile environment, especially when they're working with animals. They want as few variables as possible when they're doing their research. Um, so there's no way that they're, they're taking any of this. Um, second, due to predator prey relationships and high infant mortality rate, the population of these rattlesnakes would not be exploding in these areas. So the, um, i'll briefly explain the predator prey relationship um it's it's fairly simple uh you can get really in depth into it um species by species but basically it's two like fluctuating line graphs and as the predator numbers rise the prey numbers will drop um, because you know they're being eaten by the predators and then so they're high predator low prey And then whenever the prey drops too low, the predators start to die off because there's not enough food. And then as the predators start to die off, the prey numbers go up until they reach a peak point and vice versa. So it's kind of, it kind of looks like this big radio wave with these two alternating waves and they kind of, you know, balance each other out unless there's an outside influence on them, meaning these people catching these rattlesnakes that would, um, otherwise be, uh, you know, part of this predator-prey relationship. So, and then um, rattlesnakes also have a very high infant mortality rate. So, a uh, female snake can lay, you know, dozens and dozens of eggs, but only a small, small percentage of these are going to survive to adulthood. Um, uh, Not all of them hatch, and then of those that hatch, very, very few of them survive very long. So that is why they lay so many eggs. And that's why so many animals out there will give birth to tons of young or lay tons of eggs because they know not all of them are going to survive. So <laughs> that, you know, covers the population control. And as far as the public education, The education at this roundup is coming from the JCs, the hunters, instead of scientists. So you can imagine what kind of education they're giving people if you're trying to learn about the conservation of rattlesnakes from people who are paid to hunt the rattlesnakes instead of scientists who have actually studied them for a long period of time. So this spreads a lot of misinformation. Um, If you watch any, you know, videos on on YouTube about these, which I recommend for more in-depth information, if you're interested, I will warn you, a lot of them are extremely graphic because they're showing what they're doing to these snakes in the background. Um, But they spread misinformation about uh, snake breeding patterns. Um, They'll, you know, claim that the mothers will give birth to you know dozens and do- dozens of live young. Um, they spread misinformation about how often they eat. They often claim that they eat much less than they actually do because people you know will put forth the argument that they're helping the um, you know, rodent population and helping to get rid of that. And the JCs are claiming that um, they're not actually helping that much because they don't eat very often, which is not true. They also spread misinformation about how they use gasoline um, in their environments, which we will get to in a moment. And they also spread extremely dated misinformation about how to treat rattlesnake bites. Guys, when you, if, if you ever got bit by a rattlesnake, I don't want to say when because very few of us will ever get bit by a rattlesnake, but if you are ever bitten by a rattlesnake, you do not want to one suck out the venom with your mouth and you do not want to tie off the area you don't want to you know do the belt thing and and because what happens is yeah it um will kind of keep the venom in that one spot however it will drastically increase the tissue damage to that area so you are more like say you were a bit on the arm or the hand If you try to suck out that venom, one, you're introducing bacteria into this open wound. And how snake venom works is it keeps your blood from clotting. So you are introducing all of this bacteria into this open wound where your body is unable to clot right away, which can lead to really high rates of infections and really gnarly infections because the human mouth is disgusting, guys. It really is. And if you tie it off if you like try to limit the spread of the of the venom that venom is going to stay in your hand and your lower arm you are more likely to lose that hand because that venom is going to stay there and just eat away at that tissue um, rather than spreading so that it's like a lower concentration in a larger area and then get to a hospital to receive anti-venom so but these are the things that they're teaching people that you want to suck out the venom and you want to you know, use a, a belt or a tourniquet or whatever to to bind it off. Um, and this is causing a lot of issues. This is causing people to lose limbs and, and die from snake bites in the area. So in Sweetwater, they have contests for the most snakes caught and also for the longest snake captured. So the winner for whoever, the, the JC that catches the most snakes in pounds will win $800 in cash and the person who catches the longest snake, so they physically measure every single snake that they catch wins $400. And then the Roundup purchases snakes from the Jaycees for um, $6 per pound. So they measure or they weigh the snakes in, in pounds and then they pay them $6 per pound, which is quite a bit of money, especially if you're catching, you know, hundreds of pounds of snakes. In 2016, the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup alone took in 24,262 pounds or just over 11,000 kilograms of rattlesnakes in one year. Think of how many snakes that is, that, that they're taking from the environment. Like any person with any kind of conservation knowledge or biology knowledge knows that that can't be good. That can't be good for the environment. And that just increases the risk of People getting hurt, you know that's a lot of snakes. So, this is a three-day event that draws in you know the thirty to forty thousand visitors a year, and and they bring in roughly eight and a half million U.S. dollars a year for this, um, for the small town. So it's a really huge thing. And this Rattlesnake Roundup contains a carnival, a beauty pageant, community dances, guided hunts, bus tours of rattlesnake dens. A gun, coin, and knife show, cook-offs, and a flea market, in addition to the skinning pit, which is the biggest attraction there. So it's not just about, um, you know, killing the rattlesnakes, but the skinning pit, which we will get to in a bit, is the biggest attraction, and it's pretty disgusting. Um, but it's like this huge community thing that's centered around the killing of these rattlesnakes. So these uh jc's will slaughter and skin the snakes which are all western diamondbacks so the united states has two main um rattlesnakes so they've got the um eastern and western diamondbacks um and and in this one we've got more than the two but in this case we're talking about the western diamondback um these are the rattlesnakes at this roundup the skinning pit the main attraction um, you can pay twenty dollars to skin a snake, keep the skin, and then take a photo. And how s- uh, snakes anatomy works, um, they will behead the snake. they will you know cut the head off with a machete. but the snakes still have um, electrical currents running through their bodies even after they've been beheaded. There's you know no way to know if they're still, Able to feel things, or if it's just a remaining um, kind of muscle twitch. But after you kill a snake, whether by beheading or you know whatever else, snakes will still move around, and it's it's a pretty creepy thing to see. Uh, not gonna lie, I have seen it myself after having to euthanize some pet snakes and stuff in my life as a as a vet tech at um, with working with vets that did um, some exotic animal care. But they will continue to move. Um, as if they're alive and while they're still moving, they will skin them. Um, they will remove the skin all the way down the snake. And there's no real way to tell if that snake can still feel this. Um, but even if they can't, you're, they want to skin them right away because it, it it's like skinning a snake alive, um, the way that it's moving. And I can't imagine, um, wanting to do that um some snakes are still alive when they're skinned if they haven't been beheaded yet or you know that's awful um, most of them are decapitated with the machete uh, but what they do they just have a chopping block for snakes they chop the head off right before they want to get skinned and then the snake is still moving around the skins and the meat are sold at the show um at, at the at the roundup. And they also have these shows where the JCs will taunt snakes to bite balloons and things, which is just awful. They're cornering these snakes, and a snake will usually only bite as a last offense. A snake will always want to escape, first and foremost. And so these people corner these snakes, taunt them by shoving a big balloon in their face over and over and over again until the snake, you know... um, Bites it, it, and then pops the balloon, and it's this big event. So uh, all of that is pretty gruesome and, and awful. Most of the uh, J.C. hunters use the gassing method in order to catch the snake. So let's talk about the gassing method. They will spray gasoline on snake dens to force snakes out of the dens because the snakes are suffocating um, inside, and the snakes are usually hibernating at the time of the roundup. So these snakes are hibernating in the dens. They spray gasoline inside to make the snakes flee the dens because they're being suffocated. And then they are caught and brought into the, to the roundup, to the, to the skinning pit. This practice of gassing is banned from many states and is extremely harmful to wildlife and the environment so i'm sure you can imagine but let's get into it um gasoline makes the dens uninhabitable after forcing remaining snakes closer to residential populations for shelter so that you know probably further it further pushes this narrative that they have an overpopulation problem because these snakes are unable to go to the dens um, because they'd suffocate inside um, from the remaining gasoline, and they're forced to take shelter under people's, um, like, porches and in, in barns, things like that. And um, the state and local fish and wildlife are convinced they have a rattlesnake overpopulation problem in the area, but have not showed any evidence. They've not showed numbers. They've not done any studies. They're just kind of making this claim to allow this um, roundup to continue to happen. So gassing, um, there, there are other animals that will live in rattlesnake dens. There are um, turtles, different rodents, um, you know, other kinds of, of, of reptiles and things. And this makes the area uninhabitable for them as well, not to mention the runoff of pure gasoline running into the soil, running into the local water. So it's just not a good idea all around. Um, But the local fish and wildlife, uh, they have in the past ignored evidence that gassing is harmful. Um, Scientists have done studies and um, tried to report the evidence to them and tried to pass bills, um, like push bills and and petitions and things that show um, that gassing is harmful to the snakes, to the environment, to other species that live in the area, and they have overturned every bill that have been passed their way. Local sweetwater hunters also complain that Texas Parks and Wildlife are trying to shut them down. So the Parks and Wildlife are both ignoring the problem Um, But the local JCs are are complaining that they're also trying to shut them down. So they're just fighting on both sides. And a 1992 study, so way back in 1992, found that the extensive commercialization of the western diamondback rattlesnake in Texas has a highly structured network of dealers and hunters and the snake parts and products are highly sought in diverse markets. So there's a huge market in Texas. That area of Texas for rattlesnake s- skins, rattlesnake meat, rattlesnake different parts, and that's a huge problem. You think about um, the big diverse network for selling things like elephant ivory or wild sn- or wild um, cat skins, like leopards and and tigers and things. This isn't really any different. It's just. A, they're just snakes, so people care about them less. And uh, sweet, finally, Sweetwater does not have any limitations on the number of snakes each person can hunt each year. This is unlike any other game hunting or fishing. Um, so if you are a deer hunter or boar hunter or whatever else, like hunters, every year there is a limit on the number of animals each person can hunt So that it doesn't disrupt the wildlife too much. So it doesn't disrupt the local environment. There are no limitations for how many snakes each person can get, how far out they can travel to get them. And also the Western Diamondback is a non-game species. So they should not be legally allowed to be hunted. Um, Only game species are supposed to be allowed to be hunted. So that's why we're allowed to hunt deer and wild boar and not bear (laughs) not not bear not um you know these these large predators that are not game in the us so um that was a lot of information i just threw at you Ooh, let's take a breather for a moment. Um, and I will be right back, and we will talk about the ecological effects of this. Um, we'll talk about some human psychology to snakes, which I find super fascinating, and some solutions that we can push. So I will uh, talk about that right after this. When you travel, you should be protected especially if you enjoy adventurous activities or wildlife tourism. That's where travel insurance comes in. I personally use World Nomads because their coverage makes the most sense for me. They cover injuries or illnesses, lost luggage, canceled flights, and even damaged electronics. Protect yourself and your trip with World Nomads Travel Insurance. Check if their coverage is right for you using the link in the description. If you're a frequent traveler, you need a travel credit card that works for you. I love my Chase Sapphire Preferred card because I earn miles by making my everyday purchases in two to five times the miles on travel purchases. I can book flights for a discount directly through the Chase app using the miles I have earned, allowing me to fly for free. Earn 50,000 miles when you sign up through the link in the description and even more bonus miles after spending $4,000 in the first three months of your card. That's over $2,000 worth of travel miles. Where will you fly for free with your miles? Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to that. Once again, that does help support my podcast and my blog by you listening to those ads and clicking on the links in the description. I really appreciate your support. So now that we've talked about all the facts about the, uh, what actually goes on at the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup. Let's talk about how it affects, or sorry, how it affects <laughs> the local ecology um, in the area. So the Western Diamondback is the only snake people deliberately hunt and celebrate its extermination. Like, Why? No one knows why. Texas has 11 snakes considered dangerous to humans, but only the western diamondback is hunted. They've got 26 species of snakes altogether and 11 that are considered dangerous to humans, including other species of rattlesnake. But only the western diamondback is hunted for these roundups, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Other species of animals that live in the dens um, are also being gassed by the uh, the gasoline, um, in- including foxes, burrowing owls, toads, other species of reptile, other snakes. All wildlife within range of the gas sneak dens can be harmed from the fumes. So these fumes can travel, um, you know, a breeze picks it up and these fumes from the gasoline can travel a really long way. Um, they're not allowing people to really study it in the area, so we don't know how far they can travel or how long it lasts in the area after, after gassing, um, because they're just barring any researchers from the area. Um, gasoline runoff pollutes the local waterways. It's polluting um, potentially polluting local crops and everything as well for, for people. And removing thousands of pounds of snakes every year has to have a negative impact on the local ecology, but the the research in the area is blocked. So um, statements from the local JCs and officials show that annual hunting has severely decreased the number of snakes. So there are interviews that I um, read and and watched, um, if there are you know videos, doing my research for this and. Local hunters have admitted that there have been severely decreased numbers of snakes each year. Um, they're finding less and less every year and in, in the immediate area, which is resulting in hunters moving further out from Sweetwater to find them because they're getting paid to do this. Remember, they're getting paid $6 per pound of snakes that they're bringing in in addition to the top prices of $800 and $400, depending on which price that they get. So like, this is just crazy to me. Um, predators that feed on rattlesnakes can also suffer. So predators that feed on the rattlesnakes can suffer from starvation, um, because you're removing a huge portion of their food source or poisoning from gasoline. Um, so not all of the snakes that are gassed are going to be caught, some of them are gonna get away. And if a, a snake being cold-blooded has an extremely slow metabolism, has an extremely slow metabolism, so that gasoline can stay in its system for a very, very long time. So if you get animals such as road runners, large birds, such as you know different kinds of owls and hawks and eagles, coyotes and king snakes, which is a non-venomous larger snake that eats rattlesnakes, they can suffer from starvation or poisoning from from these roundups. Rattlesnakes prey can also overrun an area if the snake population is depleted. So think mice, rats, rabbits, lizards. Um, so remember that predator-prey balance chart that I talked to at the beginning? If you cause the predator numbers to severely drop, those prey numbers, the the Rodents and everything are going to skyrocket because all of a sudden they have far, far fewer prey. Um, they can cause huge problems with crops and ve- wild vegetation and other animals in the area. So, for an example, um, rabbits and and mice and things eat constantly. Especially, you know, the the herbivorous animals are constantly eating and they can rapidly deplete the uh, vegetation, the grass, the local ecology in an area if if they're not being hunted, if they're not naturally being, being hunted. So this can cause other animals to starve because there's not enough vegetation to feed all the animals in the area. They also cause a lot of issues with uh, local farmers, with their crops. An adult rat can easily consume 25 pounds of grain in a year. Just one rat. And they can produce 10 litters of an average eight pups. That is a potential 80 baby rats from one adult female rat. So you multiply 80 new rats by the 25 pounds of grain each and you got a problem they're eating grain storage they're eating the live plants the live crops and by consuming a single female rat one rattlesnake can save a farmer an estimated 2025 pounds of grain in a single year just one rattlesnake one rat however the farmer does need to allow snakes around where the rats are which the the grain silos the um their their crops and everything for crops to thrive, for the local, local ecology to thrive, the snakes do need to be allowed to be around because a snake is not going to eat your grain. A snake is not going to eat your corn, your wheat, your barley, your vegetables, whatever it is you're growing, but they will eat the rats and the rabbits and the mice that are consuming all of your crops and not to mention the amount of disease that rats and mice can spread, especially. Um, I didn't know if you knew this, but plague, yeah, bubonic plague is still a thing. It still exists, and you can still catch it. There is a cure for it now, but that's scary as hell to me, Um, and hantavirus. So rats can spread disease to people, and they can spread disease to um, other farm animals, like your, your cows, your sheep, your chickens. So just having a few snakes in the area can... Rapidly decrease the amount of rats, the amount of damage caused by them to your farm. The western diamondback does cause the most bites in humans per year. Um, it causes it, or it kills about one person per year in in the U.S. However, if you look at the the actual numbers. 0.2%, not even a half a percent, so 0.2% of venomous bites result in death. And about half of these bites are considered dry bites, which means no venom is excreted. They, they just, you know, bite and release without venom. So 0.2% of people who are bitten by a venomous snake that, is, that has released its venom can die. Compare that to 20 people a year dying from dog bites in the U.S. So one person a year versus 20 in dogs. But we're not killing off dogs. Well, I mean, I guess we kind of are in, shell- in kill shelters and things, but we're not having these huge shows of dog roundups where we are slaughtering dogs and celebrating their deaths. That's, that's just not happening. And how many of these bites that are causing problems are, are happening during the hunting seasons. How many of these bites are occurring during these rattlesnake roundups? There's no data because we're not allowed to research it. They they bar and threaten people who are against them, um, against the roundups. They bar researchers and scientists. And we all know that something shady is going on when a scientist is uh, banned from researching it in an area. So just keep that in mind. This, um, these... Roundups could also be causing guided evolution. That is a question that researchers have put out. Could stronger and more aggressive snakes be evolving because they're the ones that survive each year? So the um, weaker snakes, the, um, the snakes less prone to biting are the, potentially the ones being caught. And the stronger and more aggressive snakes are surviving by getting away, and then breeding, passing on those traits of of aggression. Um, so that is also something to think about. So let's also briefly talk about the human psychology to the snake. So this dates back thousands of years. As long as people have been around snakes, there have been um, you know a human psychology to the snake. So. Due to religion, particularly Christianity, you know, you're talking about how Satan took the form of a snake in the Garden of Eden and tricked Eve into, you know, eating the forbidden fruit, and then they got kicked out, and that paints, us, that paints snakes as malicious and evil, and that sticks with you. You learn that as a young kid, that the snake is evil, you can easily start to think that all snakes are, are evil. Um, different folklore um, throughout multiple different cultures, and Hollywood. <laughs> think about movies like "Snakes on a Plane," or Indiana Jones, or you know any of these other movies that are portraying snakes as evil and extremely dangerous and aggressive and all these other things, especially rattlesnakes. These, this fear of snakes is passed down person to person. They have done studies in the past. Um, I did learn about this a little. I am not an expert on it, but um, about how different fears and phobias they are not sure how much of it is nature versus nurture but how it is often traced through families you know um they don't know if you can actually genetically inherit and inherit um a um a fear or a phobia of something or if you grow up watching a parent a sibling whatever be extremely fearful of something and then you learn that from them um that being nurture um so there are a lot of studies that go into that not just about snakes but about other huge phobias um that people seem to have where snakes spiders deep water even clowns for me i'm terrified of clowns um no idea where it came from <laughs> but um there the psychology of phobias is extremely interesting um, but anyway back to the snakes um Typically, this fear is based on misinformation. So very rarely a person who knows a lot about snakes are afraid of them. They could be careful around them. They could be um, hesitant or or cautious. But that's not the same thing as fear. Um, The misinformation is usually what drives the fear. And this fear drives events like the roundups. Um, which questions whether it's about human domination over nature here um sorry, if you could hear that that was uh Mr. Loki sleeping behind me if you heard his little bow um human domination over nature um or human domination over you know just something dangerous. this intense fear sometimes even causes death, which is crazy um so. Someone who's immensely fearful of snakes gets bitten by a snake, even if it's a non-venomous snake or if it's a dry bite. There are many, many cases of fatal heart attacks that people suffer because they were bitten by a snake and they're just so fearful, even if there was no venom in that bite. At the Sweetwater Bottle Snake Roundup, young children often participate in the skinning and decapitation of the snakes. They often participate in this misinformation. So they learn these things extremely young and they grow up watching these things and then they participate as adults. So it is spread from person to person. So human psychology is extremely interesting Um, and there is a rich, rich history of human psychology to snakes. Finally, let's talk about some solutions to this problem that we have in Sweetwater. Unfortunately, there's not much of a chance as of recording this at the end of 2021 of us completely stopping the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup. It is too rooted in their culture. It is too protected by the locals and the Texas government. So what we can do is petition for one scientists to be able to come into the area and actually research the potential damage this roundup is causing. Two, uh, push laws to be passed that um, limits the number of snakes each JC can bring in. Just like any other hunting, you have a limit of the number of deer or boar or whatever each hunting season. Three, petition to stop the use of gassing and have them hunt for rattlesnakes in other ways. And um, try to get this research done to show how how gassing is potentially harming the environment and the local people. So the more we can do that, the better. And uh, finally, if you are outside of the United States or outside of Texas, and there's not really a way for your voice to be heard by the Texas government or the U.S. government, just let people know what's going on. The more people we have on our side, the better, and the more change that we can do. To end this, um, I do want to read this poem that I found online um, that is called Rattlesnake Roundup that I thought was extremely interesting. To This poem was written by Greg Young entitled Rattlesnake Roundup. Each year I hear the commercial, Come to the world's largest rattlesnake roundup. I consider taking the family to eat fried snake flesh, to marvel at handlers milking venom into jars. Neighbors tell me rattlers are not aggressive. You've lived here all your life, they say, walked right by them without knowing it. I think of how March is early snake season, how in June I will wade through waist-high weeds, lift hay bales from the shadows in the barn. Weekenders flock to Sweetwater, Texas. I see them on the six o'clock news, families, dressed in shorts and sandals. A little girl in dog ears taps on the glass. Tomorrow is the last day to see them before they end up as a belt buckle or a trophy. A coiled diamondback mounted on a board and encased in glass displayed at eye level in an, an executive suite. More will taunt them before their appointed time. They will cheer the rattlesnake queen, Chew the rubbery meat. I'll stay home. Wear boots. Step lightly. Shake the rattle in my gourd. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> I thought that really showed how you can overcome um, this kind of group psychology and and this uh, group fear of snakes and, and not participate in the slaughter of these animals and just Common sense know how to avoid them and know that they're not inherently dangerous. And um, you know, wear your thick boots if you're going to be in their area, and and they will more than likely run away from you. So, so just like my previous episodes, where I ended by giving some uh, fun facts and fast facts about previously it was ancient elephants, and then um, Chiang Mai, the city of Chiang Mai. Um, I'm going to give you some fun facts about the western diamondback. So maybe it'll help uh, help you if you're a little fearful of the snakes, which I totally get, um, especially with the misinformation out there and, and like I said, movies and things. Um, but the more you learn about them, the less scary they seem. So let's learn together. <laughs> so a, a western diamondback can live over 20 years in the wild and they grow usually between three to six feet in length, Um, but typically they're around four feet long. They grow based on food availability, which is very different compared to um, mammals especially. So in warmer climates where they potentially don't have to hibernate or don't hibernate as long and they have more food sources for longer periods of the year, they will grow longer um, because of food availability. It is unknown how large they can actually reach without humans interrupting. Um, so humans interrupting them by, by hunting um, or depleting their food sources, um, you know, by you know poisoning rats and mice and, and getting rid of rabbits and things like that. A rattlesnake's rattle is made from keratin, which is the same um, material that your hair and fingernails are made out of. A new segment is added whenever they shed, so potentially their rattle can get longer the older they they get. But they can also lose segments fairly frequently, so the segments aren't—they're kind of loosely attached to each other. Um, if you have ever seen like a, a rattlesnake rattle, that's you know obviously not on a rattlesnake anymore they're really really cool so these segments are kind of loosely connected to each other and can pretty easily break off um by them shedding or by them you know being hunted or whatever so um it's not always accurate to determine how old a rattlesnake is by counting their their rattle um segments which is what a lot of people like to say They shake their rattles as a warning when they are about to strike. So, if you ever hear, um, if you're ever in rattlesnake territory and you hear the rattle, stop what you are doing, try to locate that rattlesnake and back away. Um, They will almost always only strike when they cannot escape. So, you have either purposefully, hopefully not, (laughs) hopefully not on purpose cornered the snake and um, they're giving you a warning that they're about to strike. So they use their rattles um, to warn when they're about to strike what they deem as a threat. So they do not do this when they are hunting um, for their prey. They can shake their rattle back and forth 20 to 100 times per second. That's so fast. 20 to 100 times per second. Um, And again, only used when escape is not an option for predators or other large animals. So that includes us. That includes like a horse or a cow that may be about to step on them. Um, And uh, rattlesnakes um, or the western diamondback give birth to live young, which is highly unusual for reptiles in general, Um, usually about 14, but they can give birth to um, up to 25 in early fall. Roughly every other year, so they typically don't give birth every year um, because it takes a lot of energy. It depletes a lot of their, you know, fat sources from food, and they could starve to death if they if they do it every year. When the snake is born, um, it is fully developed and independent. So they're born, they take off, they start hunting for themselves. However, they do follow their mother back to the same den during hibernation, typically. So, if you find a den full of snakes, um, they will often be related, um, different generations of snakes. They are ovoviparous, sorry if I butchered that, um, which means they produce eggs that hatch inside. So, rattlesnakes or the Western diamondback do technically have eggs like every reptile does but they um keep the eggs inside the babies hatch inside and they're kind of like they're not a hard shell egg they're kind of like a jelly um like fish egg almost um they hatch inside the mother and then the mother gives life birth um they can survive two years without eating um that you know cold-blooded life (laughs) they can survive two years without eating but usually eat either several weeks to a couple of months apart. So they will usually eat like once a month or once every other month or so, um, depending on food availability and how big they are. They use heat and smell to observe the world around them and to hunt. So they have very poor eyesight. They don't really hear the same way that we do. They don't hear um, like auditory wavelengths they um what they see kind of temperature which is really really cool so the temperature their temperature signals to the same part of their brain as sight so when they are looking around at their world the kind of infrared that you see in like in like movies and things are kind of overlaid what they're seeing so they see both in like visual shapes and heat, which is really cool. Um, And they can also feel sounds um, in the ground um, instead of like auditory hearing them as we do. Um, The tongue flick that a snake does detects airborne uh, (laughs) pollicles, airborne particles, and deposits them on a specialized organ called the Jacobson's organ um, inside their mouth. And that is how they kind of smell um, They So smells, how we smell is um, actually airborne par- particles from different things. And instead of having olfactory glands like we do and, and like most mammals do, the snake actually grabs these particles out of the air with its forked tongue and then deposits it on this specialized organ in their mouth. And that tells them what they are smelling which is really cool. <laughs> their entire body is covered in one sheet of skin um, and that's why we see a, an intact snake skin. And the skin is thickened and kind of wrinkled to form hardened scales. The scales create armor um, to help protect them from predators. It also helps increase their flexibility. So the way that scales kind of move against each other, um, helps, in, um, a snake be flexible rather than like one, if it was one hard scale, um, all the way down, it wouldn't really be able to move the way that, that we see snakes move. Um, shedding is required for growth. Um, so they can shed up to six times a year and every time they shed, they, they grow a little bit. Their scales, um, also help them camouflage themselves so how a snake looks is often determined by their environment um you will see different snakes like a green you are not going to find a bright green snake in a brown desert and and vice versa so the western diamondback in the western diamondback case they're camouflaged to blend in with um, shadows to blend in with rocks and and sand And it helps camouflage them from predators um, to hide and also from prey. So their prey don't see them coming. They are cold-blooded, which means they do not produce their own body heat to digest food. And they rely on the environment. So in order to get their body temperature up high enough to digest their food, they need to lay out where it's warm, which is why you will see snakes um, sunbathing. Uh, their venom, um, the western diamondback rattlesnake, have a hemotoxic venom, which destroys blood coagulants, causing internal bleeding, tissue damage, and swelling. And this does multiple things. It helps to, one, kill the prey, helps kill kill their prey. It also begins um, digesting them before the snake swallows them. So it helps digest um, kind of some of the harder-to-digest parts of that animal, Um before they've actually swallowed them and it also kills harmful gut bacteria that could cause infections in the snake. Uh, They have up to seven different sets of fangs in different stages of development so if you think of a uh, shark jaw and how they've got multiple layers of of teeth um, the western diamondback is kind of similar so it will have up to seven different sets of fangs kind of behind each other, similar to a shark in different stages of development. So they will be, um, you know, not as big or not as hard or not as fully formed. They can strike up to 175 miles per hour or 282 kilometers per hour. However, they can only strike items or prey directly overhead due to how their head move, how their heads move, and how their fangs work and the location of its eyes. So if you see a snake, it can really only strike you if you are directly in front of it or directly overhead it. So if you stay out of its way, even if it wanted to, it's not going to strike. They usually strike and release um, due to how their venom works. So they will strike, inject venom and release, and then chase down their prey if you are visiting areas that have snakes just snakes in general it is very important to know what especially the venomous snakes in that area look like and where they live before hiking and and visiting so this is especially important in the american southwest um different parts of southeast asia australia um, places with lots of snakes so if you're going to be hiking um during snake season where there are venomous snakes have a generalized idea of what they look like what they sound like if they're rattlesnakes wear those thick boots (laughs) that will help protect you and 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 just be aware of your surroundings and you will be fine i hike all the time in areas that have venomous snakes and i have never been bit Um, i have been bit by a snake before but never in the wild. It was while I was um, handling a an elderly blind snake when I w- used to work at a zoo and I scared the snake and it um, struck me out of fear. Um, but I have, I'm, I'm constantly hiking in areas with snakes and I never get bit. So just use your common sense, learn as much as you can Snakes are our friends, guys. We really need to work to protect them, um, just like the cute fluffy mammals that we all love and, and see in wildlife commercials and things like that. So they're extremely important for generalized wildlife conservation. They're extremely important for local ecologies. And they deserve as much love and respect from us as any other animal that we love. So Thank you so much for listening, guys. I will see you in two weeks. And I will talk to you guys about my, one of my absolute favorite destinations to see wild snakes. So um, I'll let you guys guess (laughs) where that is, but I will see you in two weeks. Sources for today's show can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.